<laughs> this is the worst possible time for my legs to fall asleep. You're not. You're not sitting in the John again, are you? Uh, no, I'm in the I'm in the room just outside of the John. Last time I talked to Corey, I don't know if you want me to tell you this, no, but the last time I talked to Corey, he was in Japan, and, uh, and and we were having a Skype conversation, and I'm like, are you, you are you in a closet? And he says, no, you don't understand. These these places are so small. This was the only place I could get a little bit of privacy, and I realized he was in the John. Well, at the time, too, you have to understand with the, with the hour swap, uh, it is, it, I am time traveling. I'm actually on Saturday morning right now. You're all on Friday night. Oh, that's uh, right. So Saturday I'm good. Are we going to like it? It's Saturday. You're going to like Saturday. It's okay. turned out very nice. There's lots of good things happening this Saturday. Good. good. It's nice weather. You know, it's spring. <laughs> <laughs> Plus a Japanese toilet is so much nicer than, I mean, listen, oh, right? I Japanese the toilets. They sing. They're right. heated. <laughs> they sing. They right. do. And they we're gonna, sing. We're gonna There's clap. There's a singing thing. Oh yeah, let's let's definitely. Clap. Let's clap. Let's clap. <laughs> All right, we're gonna clap. Should have clapped earlier. <laughs> we're gonna clap in three, two, one. Excellent. Eddie, did you clap? I did. I clapped. Did you know what oh, we were good. doing when he said? We're I had no idea. <laughs> I just idea. realized. That Katie was like, crazy. Oh my god, I was, we're clapping. I was wondering what are we if doing? it was related to the singing toilets. Uh, <laughs> well, the singing toilets. We're gonna clap. Singing toilets. Let's all clap for the toilets that sing. Uh, they do all kinds of things. They sing. They, it's another week of surviving creativity, the show where we talk about creative professionals following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and hopefully surviving the process. This show is made possible by patrons like you. If you're interested in joining us, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity. This week we have our own legal consultant, Katie Lane. We're talking about contracts, trademark versus copyright, and current events happening in the news. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Scott Kurtz. I am the <laughs> I'm the artist and author of PvP and Table Titans, and you're listening to another episode. Of surviving creativity. <laughs> <laughs> and with me tonight on our respective toilets, <laughs> some more advanced than others, is my co host, Brad Geiger. Thank you. Uh, my name is Brad Geiger. I am the uh, cartoonist of Evil Inc. I run a little site called webcomics.com, and I just put out a book called The Web Comics Handbook. And uh, and and with us, as always, is our producer, uh, who who is right now. Uh, it, it's tomorrow where he is in Japan, Mr. Corey Cassoni. Hi, I'm Corey Cassoni. I manufacture, review, and maintain Japanese toilets <laughs> here in Tokyo. <laughs> I'm currently looking at the Toto model. It's very nice. It I got a I got a slogan for your company. I'm no ready. butts, no butts about it. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Ooh, ooh, I've got one. I've, I've, and for the Australian motto, mod, Christ. Wow. And for the Australian motto, bidet mate. Uh-uh. uh-uh. I'm, I'm going to reject that. I, I'm going to go ahead. Our guest is turning on us already. We're, 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 we're three seconds in and she's turning on us. Speaking I'm going to go ahead and guests, introduce, introduce regular guest, uh, our legal eagle, uh, Miss Katie Lane. Hello, Katie Lane. Howdy, guys. Katie, have you seen the movie Legal Eagles? Oh I have God. not. It's a good movie. <laughs> I, it's actually a watchable <laughs> it's, movie. The, it's the, the, one a, of my favorite. A younger favorites. Robert Redford. And who was the other guy? Deborah Winger was in it. 
<laughs> I, thought was too, I thought it was a, a, Who's a, the other a, guy? a, a buddy movie. Is Daryl Hannah? Who's the other guy? Deborah Who's the Winger? other guy? Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger. Before Darryl we Hannah. go too far, do, too far, Katie, what's your website again? It's yeah, got a Katie, great introduce, name. introduce yourself. Don't let us steamroll you with our talking. Yeah. No, I was, I was making fun of you. It was fine. Uh, my <laughs> name is Katie Lane. I'm an attorney and a negotiation coach. I work primarily with artists and freelancers, and I author a blog, workmadeforhire.net, where I talk about all the different ways you can get yourself out of trouble uh, with intellectual property, clients, contracts, the whole like. Why did you name it Work Made for Hire? Do you think that's one of the, the most popularly or, or widely misunderstand, uh, misunderstood phrases in contracts? Well, so work made for hire is really weird, right? It's this exception within the Copyright Act, and it had always been really weird to me that one person could create something and automatically another person would own it. it, Like, that's just strange. Uh, But so when I started uh, writing the blog, I I knew I wanted to speak directly to freelancers, and I knew one of the big problems that they always had was having that conversation about who's going to own what and why and for how long and work for hire contracts are fairly normal in freelancing but they're not always accurate and like work for hire is actually supposed to only be applied to nine very specific instances but it's kind of used willy-nilly all over the place was that specific yeah oh yeah well, like, well I, I think that begs the question what what in in synopsis form what are the nine formats that it can be used that's not fair. I don't know it off the top of my head. Oh. <laughs> You're fired. I'm a lawyer that started it. going to law school. Well, let's at go the back to talking about Robert Redford. Come on, he was turn of the century. Robert Redford would know. He I mean, I don't know if you've seen Legal Eagles, but Redford would know right off the top of his. He's a better person. Okay, I don't mean his character. I mean Robert Redford. Okay, so the the nine areas are. So it can happen uh, two ways. One is you're an employee, you're working for uh, your employer, and therefore everything that you create um, in the course and scope of your employment is owned by your employer. That's fairly normal sounding, right? Like, I'm not going to do anything with the memo I wrote on Tuesday. That's probably um, most stuff, right? That's, I mean, that's most stuff that we engage in is, as contract workers. Yeah. Well, so... It's actually it's it's that's that first situation only applies if you are the employee of a company, right? The company is employing you to do specific work, so the company wants to own anything that you create for them because the whole purpose of you creating it is that you're working for them. But then you have the other situation, which is uh, it's specially ordered or commissioned, and that's the situation that a lot of freelancers find themselves in is they're, they're given this contract and said uh, that they need to sign it. And it says that everything they create is a work for hire. But a work for hire can really be only attributed to uh, a contribution to a collective work. So like um, the three of us are going to make something together and uh, you want to make sure that you own the copyright, but you want me to make a contribution to it. As part of a motion picture or uh, audiovisual work, so television, that sort of thing. A translation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A translation. A supplementary work. Um, Supplementary is... uh, It it is something that is related to an earlier work. Um, A compilation, an instructional text, so textbooks, a test, answer material for a test, and my favorite... An atlas, but an those atlas. an atlas. 
this is an old law, isn't it? <laughs> well, so it's, it's the Copyright Act of 1976. So, oh, not or that old. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not terribly old, but um, yeah, I love that they carved a special provision out for atlases. Wow. All those map They are so the important they were just, yeah, to our well, economy. They Listen, had a lot more latitude back then. But now we all know that they're... We God the damn it. <laughs> We're not even I, 10 minutes into this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a specific question because I heard... I, I know from uh, comics history, there was this guy. Mm. And his company claimed... The company he worked for at his day job claimed that they owned not only the rights that uh, of of the stuff that he did while he was at work but all of the things that he did period anything artistic creative that they that he did in his life while he was drawing a paycheck from this company they claimed to own is is that is that including would that fall into one child. of those uh, what's that i said including his child i mean uh, probably um, probably no that's bullshit so <laughs> you can it's it's fair to own the things that are specially created uh, as an employee for work but very very consistently it said things outside of the office things that you do on your own time things that you do with your own materials things that you do at your own home are yours even if it is similar to the things that you do for work well whoa wait a minute that because Got into a lot of trouble with that. Well, over that's that. exactly who I'm talking well, did, about. Did he but I didn't know whether separate... he wanted his name mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, did he sign a separate agreement? And Katie, that's a question for you. Are there yeah. separate agreements that exist where a company can say, look, we want all of your creative juices to belong to us. We are harvesting your creative spice and we are distilling it into our creative spice drink <laughs> that we are then going to sell. And we can't have your creative spice juice anywhere else outside of, right. of creative, we own creative Spice Works, LLC. Uh, the ugly, ugly truth about the law is anybody can write anything into a contract. It's just, you just can. You can write <laughs> some really horrible, silly crap into a and contract. If, if somebody signs it, then they're beholden to it. Essentially. Well, if somebody signs it, then you have a good argument that it it should be enforced. However... Um, courts won't enforce uh, agreements that are um, obviously illegal. Like, uh, I am I am asking you to, to commit a crime, and right. you sign the agreement saying that you're committing a crime, and I don't I can't enforce that. Um, but the other thing is that you can't you can't turn something into something else. Now, I could give up my rights to something that I create outside of work. Um, I, I could do that, but can you do that purely under a work for hire? No, but that's why that's why it's important to read uh, if if you are employed um, your your work contract. What are they? What do they have rights to? What are they trying to claim? I have renegotiated the work made for hire work for hire section of my contract three different times because I wanted to make it really really clear. You can own what I make for you as a part of my job, but you don't get anything else. Right. Um, and some companies, depending on you know their their morals and ethics, will uh, ask for whatever they like. 
Well, let's say let's say you're you're a, a web cartoonist in that situation, and and of course you need a day job, uh, and and your your you and your family's livelihood is re, uh, relying on that. Now you you land the job, they hand the contract to you, you do your due diligence, and you see this phrase in the contract. What's your next step? Can you is it as simple as drawing a line through it and having you and your manager initial it, or do you have to lawyer up at that point? No, you don't have to lawyer up. I'm probably the only lawyer that will tell you that. But one of the things that you should do is say, hey, I see this. It's not um, my understanding and it doesn't work for me because, by the way, I have this whole other creative life and and it's not related to the work that I'm going to do for you. And it's not going to it's not going to impact the work I'm going to do for you. So what I'd like to do is come up with language that allows me to do that and allows you to get what you need. And most companies have lawyers. They've already paid for somebody to do that. So you can sort of throw it back at them and say, this is what I need. This is why I need it. Most uh, managers and supervisors will uh, find that relatively reasonable. And then they're going to advocate for you up the chain. And you can you can see if their attorney will make the first change. And if they do make the change and you review it and it's carved out your specific stuff that's great if they if they aren't so agreeable then it might be time to talk to a lawyer and just see can you help me out can you can you draft some language that i can recommend can you review this for me before i sign it so i really understand what it is i'm agreeing to um and with that like it doesn't take a ton of time and most most good lawyers (laughs) We'll be able to do that for you at a very reasonable I'm actually, price. I'm going to pause you right here because I think this is the this is the number one pitfall I hear, particularly from from young creators, and I I mean young in like a in a newish to the to the field sense as opposed to an age. Sure. Uh, I always always hear, well, I can't negotiate on that, or there's no way I can listen to what Katie just said. It's so reasonable. Just say I see this. This doesn't work for me. I'd like to do this instead. And nine times out of 10, the person can come back and go, oh, yeah, no big deal. They don't yeah. care. Like some of these contracts are so boilerplate. They don't even know what it says anymore. They cut the stupid contract five years ago. Right. They've barely looked at it since then. Absolutely. But, That's the and, thing that people don't get is that in business, you negotiate all the time. You but constantly you go back. Over and over and over again from these creators. Oh, I, oh, I could never do that. Oh, well, yeah. what, if, what if they tell me that I don't get the job? Well, like, think well, about okay. it from a creator <laughs> standpoint. Everything that you do as a creator, especially if you do something in print, everything leads up to uh, making the print, the ink drying, and then it is final. In our minds, everything with dry ink is final. And when you look at a contract, that's really not the case. You're looking at something that's just the beginning of a conversation. Right. That's exactly right. It well, is I, the starting point. I think that it also comes down to Especially with young cartoonists, I found that's universal between all of us, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's shared with other creative people. You, we, we, we have this very odd um, creative pursuit where you don't just open up the newspaper and go to the want ads or come out of college and have some kind of regular job placement, you know. And so it's this it's this this longing and this hope that something is going to happen. Uh, this kind of nebulous working towards a goal of making money as a cartoonist and you've wanted it so bad for so long that when if the first opportunity or the second opportunity or any opportunity with some of them cartoonists come along 
you're afraid to rock the boat for fear that this opportunity that's already so rare is going to be blown by you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember when um, Image first approached me, um, I was at a friend's wedding, and they said, we're going to send you a contract. And Angie said, we should, well, I guess we'll have to hire a lawyer. And I said, we can hire a lawyer, absolutely, if you want, but I'm signing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter what it says, I'm signing it. Right. Because, you know, this is the time and the place, and there's nowhere else for me to, this is it for me. I'm never going to go work for Marvel. I'm not, this is it. This is mm-hmm. the holy grail for me. I'm signing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at it now, that was not too scary because Image's contract is pretty cut and dry. Yeah. And and favorable towards the creator. But if it was a Dark Horse comic, I would have had a lot of a contract or an Oni or anyone else that has shared rights or anything like that. Um, I might have signed it. Mm-hmm. Not that those are bad, but I would have signed it. Well, you and would then have signed it without it later. looking. Is is the is that's the important part there? Is yeah, you sign it without looking, and I, yeah, I think that, and without understanding. I think that that's the thing that that really to impart on you know young creators in any in any creative field, right? Is like you you hit the nail on the head, Scott. You know this idea of success is nebulous because first, as a creator, you have to define what the hell success means. Are you talking about financial success? Are you talking about right. celebrity success, recognition success, success, like mm-hmm. creative success? What what is it that will make you happy? And then once you've done that, well, now you got to look at these contracts and go, which part of this is good for me and bad for me? And I think the other key is realizing that these companies that are hiring creators, uh, even other creators working together, they do this all the time. Like you're not you're you're not gonna make them, you know, monocle pop by saying, "Hey, I want to <laughs> change." <laughs> you know, there's a visual for you, but you know, like like. H.P. Huffington isn't going to freak out when you say, well, I really think that I need this in the contract instead of this. Nine times out of ten, they're going to look at it and go, yeah, that's reasonable. Well, you and, know, or, and that's a really Or they're going to come back and say, we can't do that, but we can do this. Yeah. And that's an important point is that for you, this might be the first contract, maybe the only contract you've ever really looked at and considered. But for the publisher or for wh- whomever is producing the thing that you want to produce – they deal with contracts all the time and they deal with all they do. Yeah. They probably deal with agents. They probably deal with uh, artists that have been with them for a long time that know exactly what they want. Um, They are used to having the contract change. So while it's a unique and understandably scary experience for you first time out of the gate, for them, it's a day-to-day business activity. So having questions asked is not as it's not as intimidating for them. It's not as out of the blue. And honestly, if you ever ask a question about how a relationship is going to work out and somebody responds to you by getting angry, <laughs> run away. Yeah, you don't want to work with them, man. That tells Get you out. everything. You, and, and that goes exactly. for any kind of relationship. Exactly. Like, yeah. That is a horrible way to start. That if I ask you a question about what this means within our relationship and your response is, well, if you don't want it, you can just walk away, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Other people might appreciate it. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, what's funny away, is, then. You know, what's you funny is the first contract I was ever offered for PvP was like that. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, PvP and Penny Arcade 
both were um, licensed to a website called mpog.com mm-hmm. back in 98, um, right, be- right before the dot-com boom. And basically, they liked our comics, and they wanted to run them on the site, and they paid us for the rights to run it. I told them I didn't want to sign over rights, and they said we don't want to manage rights. We just want to pay you for the license to put it on the on the website. And then I think I got like three hundred to five hundred a month or something um, for it. And and then they were like, "We have this new thing coming where this big company is buying us. We're going to become a part of a network. There's going to be advertising. You'll earn a percentage of all the advertising that runs on your site. So the more traffic, the better." And all this is going to happen in the next month, and you guys are going to get contracts. And so the contracts come out. You know, my my wife had gone to visit my family in California, so I was at home by myself, and the contract comes in, and it says, when you sign this contract, we own your comic. Well, we own your website and everything that's on it. Mm. Jesus. We will pay you $3,000 a month for a year. And then we don't have to ever pay you again. But you get all these stock options in the company. Yippee. And the, the stock options, if they ever became anything, amounted to some, some kids figured it out. Like it would be millions or something. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, uh, oh, I said to them, I, my heart sank. And I said, oh, God, um, th- there's no way I can, I can sign this, I guess. I thought I was going to be making more money. Now I'm not going to be making any money because I'm, I'm now I'm going to leave them completely because I'm not going to sign over the website to them and everything on it. And I'm not going to accept 3000 a month for a year and then they own it. So I called Mike and Jerry and I said, don't sign this. <laughs> this is what it says. And they went, oh, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> so they called, e- they called what was at the time becoming E-Front and said, Scott Kurtz says this is a terrible contract and that you own it. And they're like, Fuck him. He's got an NDA. He's not allowed to talk about it. This this is a great contract. And they signed it. They scared <gasps> he scared them into signing it. Whoa. And oh, no. And then and then they, they they emailed me and said, Don't you ever talk to anyone about this contract and the contracts and you just need to keep your mouth shut and blah blah. And I said, Okay, I apologize. And then I started shopping around and the UGO network had a better contract and I said, I would like to leave MPOG and come to you. And they're like, Okay. <laughs> and so I signed it, and then they, the guy was just sending me. He must have left me about fifty voicemails, Jeez. just berating me. Just, just angry, vicious. Uh, just angry. Uh, uh, well, it went from berating me to crying to telling me that <laughs> he had phone? a heart problem. Oh yeah, voicemails, and uh, and that became Efront. And if you ever want to find out what happened, there was a whole. Like leaked ICQ thing where they were talking about Penny Arcades being a pain in the ass. Why don't we fire him and have someone else write it and draw it? And uh, yeah, Penny Arcade just sold the rights away to their comic. This is well, 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 well before Q. Yeah. And the only thing that saved him is that Efront went out of business, and that guy that runs it is like a fugitive or something from <laughs> justice. Yeah, it's great. Right? Yeah. Wow. Google it sometime. But that, like, you have to understand that was my first. I thought. I was screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I think well, that I was think... actually part of a, and unless this is pointing to a different story, that was part of a and a that I read uh, that Koo had done. And, and somebody had asked him, you know, what was the first major thing you did for uh, Penny Arcade? And he basically mentioned <laughs> extricating themselves from a really, really bad contract. 
I think that might have been a an initial book deal too that they had signed. Oh they yeah, that yeah. could have been. I think the other thing was already dead. <laughs> well, this, so this Scott, is a. Go ahead, Kitty. Oh, I was going to say one of the other things that you have to realize when you're looking at contracts is that they were drafted by lawyers, mm-hmm. and not all lawyers understand comics. I I know that's crazy sounding, <laughs> um, but well, and it, not just comics, music, entertainment, entertainment, video, like anything. And they might understand the law very, very well, but they might not understand uh, what the industry norms are. They might not understand how this particular business wants to work. They might not have listened to their client very well, and they've just put in sort of their what their standard is for these types of contracts. Mm. And so you can get in a situation where it, it doesn't sound like this was the case in the story you told, but you can get into a situation where a company doesn't actually realize how much they've asked you for. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you go back and you talk to them and you say, you know, I, I'd love to work with you, but I look at these terms and I, I can't agree to those things. Um, they say, oh, 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 uh, <laughs> Hmm. we'll have to go talk to our lawyer. Right. Like, I, I have seen some horrible, horrible contracts that were written, um, you know, by uh, what I assume are good lawyers. Um, but the reason that they were bad is because the, the lawyer hadn't done a good enough job of listening to the client and really finding out what the client wanted to be able right. to do. So I've got a question. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I, I think I know where you're going, Brad. This is a great jumping on point to, to ownership and copyright and trademark. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to segue into that. You, you read my mind. But I wasn't going to go the way you think I was going to go because I've got another burning question. Uh, but it is copyright. At, uh, at webcomics.com, there's a little link at the, type that, uh, at the top that you can email a question in. And the all-time, uh, since doing it uh, since 2009, the all-time most popular question is this: I want to put a comic on the web. How do I keep it from? from how do I keep my, my copyright from being ripped off? In other words, the prevailing thought is: as soon as you put it up on the web, it's going to get stolen. It could, yeah. I mean, it's the internet. <laughs> well, welcome to doing your job and protecting your copyright. <laughs> Uh, well, that's, was, actually, that's what I would like you to speak to. Okay, right. Protecting, well, uh, protecting the thing you own, because if you're not actively going after it, it is no longer yours. And I think that's something people do not understand. Well, it's so copyright. Copyright's really interesting, right? Because the way that it works uh, in the United States is as soon as you create um, an ori- original expression that you've fixed in quote a tangible medium a tangible medium of expression, it's copyrighted immediately, right then and there. If somebody takes that image that you have drawn and puts it on a poster without your permission or posts it somewhere on the internet without your permission, you can tell them to stop. You are the copyright owner, and uh, provided we're not dealing with a work-for-hire situation, and you have the right to tell them to screw off. Um, you can then, you can take the extra step of registering your copyright, which is incredibly inexpensive. It costs like $35 and there's a little wizard on copyright.gov that will walk you through the process of what you have to do. Um, 
And then if you register it, the benefit is you have access if you ever have to sue to much greater damages than you could get um, otherwise. You also have the right to just walk into court and sue because it's it's registered and there is proof that this thing is yours. You are the author. You are the creator. Um, but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that you also have responsibilities to protect who's using that thing and how. Um, there's a concept, so th there's this concept between copyright and trademark that sometimes get a, gets a little confusing. I'm going to do my best. I expect you guys to ask <laughs> lots of questions. Lots of questions. Lots of questions. So in trademark, if you don't enforce your trademark, if you don't protect it from being misused from other people, and I'm talking about like a logo um, or a particular name of your company, if you don't protect it, what the law assumes is that you don't really want to use it. So if you don't really want to use it, you're not going to get legal protections for it. And you can lose the protection of trademark. With copyright, it's still yours. You're not going to lose the copyright. But if you allow people to misuse your, your image or your creation in a particular way, what can happen is you can be prevented from later coming back to them and suing for the use that happened. Because what they're going to say is, you knew that I was doing this and you had allowed, you know, these hundred other people to do exactly the same thing that I did. <laughs> so what are you complaining about? You've, you've already basically said you don't care about these kinds of uses um and and, yeah, and you can't you can't ignore it until it makes money and then expect to swoop in and and make a killing off of it <laughs> well After. you can be you can be really clear about the fact that like i, I was uh, having a conversation with a um photographer the other day who was uh on twitter so as conversation as that gets but <laughs> one of <laughs> one of his points was um you know he was totally okay with like uh your one-off blogger who maybe has a couple ads on his site using one of his pictures to uh, in a blog post. He was not okay with um, a magazine using one of his pictures on their website where there were like 16 different ads all over the place. And it was basically link bait. It was a click through photo album and his was one of the photos. And he, the thing that, that was really frustrating was that this guy had um, issued his photo under a uh, creative commons license so he had said explicitly if you're not using this for a commercial purpose and as long as you say i i took the the photo you're fine um but as the copyright holder he's allowed to say i'm okay with this guy who's got like an ad or two ads on his website i'm super not okay with uh this guy who is a, a magazine and has a number of ads and is using my my photograph as a way of getting more readers to engage with their site. Mm -hmm. uh, going back, uh, just to get a little bit clearer, because uh, because again, people mm -hmm. misconstrue this all the time. Copyright is quite literally the right to make a copy of a particular piece of art. So if you do a a, a strip and it's got a certain gag. Someone cannot come in and take that strip and print it in a in a book or a, or use it on their website necessarily. Correct. They could take that gag, rewrite it a little bit, draw it themselves, and present it as their own. 
Correct. Because copyright is is protecting the expression of the idea, but not the idea itself. Right. And when you think about it, like you wouldn't want an idea locked away so that only one person could use it. Like, uh, you, if I had taken the first picture of a sunset, you don't want to prevent everybody <laughs> else in the world from ever taking another picture of the sunset. That's stupid. Uh, because they could do it in a way that is very different from the way that I did it. And, and that could be beneficial. Um, right. so, so the idea isn't protected. You, the only way that you can protect an idea when we're talking about intellectual property is through um, either patent or trade secret. And those are very, you know, they're, they're pretty particular things. And they're not going to come up when we're talking about a comic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I always, I always kind of cringe a little bit when somebody says, how do I copyright the name of my strip? Because the answer to that is you don't. That is you a trademark yeah. issue. Yeah. Exactly. So trademarks protect um, names or images that are associated with a particular good or service. So, um, it, and part of the idea behind trademark is that you want somebody who wants to buy your thing to be able to find it and to feel confident that they are actually buying from you. So that when I go and I buy a tennis shoe that has a swoop on the side, I know I am buying a Nike tennis shoe as opposed to a Mikey tennis shoe. <laughs> <laughs> or that case, that's the, you know, that's the, the reverse the swoop right in, there. In coming to America where, you know, he talks about having uh, McDonald's, he's got the single arch and so forth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, so trademark is really trying to protect actually the consumer rather than the person who has the mark. That's it's, interesting. Yeah. And, and then the idea behind it is that we want people to be able to buy something with confidence. We don't want them tricked. We don't want them hoodwinked into buying either a product or a service that they didn't really mean to buy. Right. Um, so now, there's no as, confusion in the marketplace. Exactly. So mm. that there's no confusion. So as the trademark holder, it's your responsibility to ensure that this mark is only associated with you. So when somebody sees this and it's related to the good or service you're providing, so if somebody sees the title of your comic, they don't think, oh, that's that that's that other comic by that other person. Um, okay, well, let me give you an example. Just as a just I as love an example. an example. There is a young lady uh, who's actually a webcomics.com member. Mm -hmm. Her name is Mary Varn. And she has a webcomic that's, I don't know, how many years old now is... It's is been it? going on for quite a while. It's been a couple years, and it's called NPC, non-player character. Uh, and so uh, NPC is a gaming term, kind of like PvP is. Mm -hmm. Instead of player versus player, it's non-player character. A non-player character being characters in any kind of a game, whether it's video or role-playing, that is not the main character. It's just there for color, someone for you to interact with. And she's been doing it regularly, I'm just looking at her site, since uh, 2009. She's... She does it regularly. She has books. She has merchandise. Uh, so uh, last month, um, Ryan Sommer, who does the webcomic Looking for Group, LFG, another abbreviation based on a game term, he is doing a, a spinoff of that comic called NPC Non-Player Character. So now we have two webcomics with the same name. And... Uh, and of course, and well, that I'll, could get confusing. Well, what and of is... course, I'll speak on Mary's behalf. Uh, 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 certainly, 
you can look back and say, oh, I should have registered a trademark. But as you well know, registering a, tr- a trademark is expensive, is it well, not? Well, is she protected even though she didn't register a trademark? There, yeah, well, the other the question, question is, has she registered a trademark? I was in the impression that she had registered or was in the process of registering a trademark when this happened. Well, let's, uh, let's just do hypotheticals because we're not either party. So, yeah, correct. But, yeah. but, so let's assume that Mary at this point has not registered Hypothetically, if Mary has not registered a trademark for NPC, non-player character comic, mm-hmm. what should she do uh, to protect confusion in the webcomic space and protect the, the name of her comic from this new comic? So the, the way that um, the, the law recommends people like her to act is to let people know that you're already using a particular name associated with a particular product now so she probably has some right or interest in non non-player character npc with web comics she probably doesn't have rights to npc when it would come to say um uh, i don't know beer or beverages because trademark is really specific that you can have a name or a trademark that's associated with the good or service that you're providing, but you don't get it across the board until you become famous, which is something else entirely. So, <laughs> one, special rules for famous people. Well, it's and it's not actually like famous the way that we would think of celebrity famous. It it is it is an establishment of your name is associated with a particular good or sure, service. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so like I can't I can't create shoes called Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola is the famous mark. Um, but there are certain common law rights that you could have in trademark. Um, and sometimes there are even state rights that you can have with trademark where you, where you say, I've been offering this thing for this amount of time. I'm the only one that's done it. I've got uh, a, an audience of this size. I've sold books in these places. People associate this name with this service if you do that it's going to confuse things so you know you want to tell the other person uh, you want to give them notice that you've been doing this and they don't have a right to it and then you want to talk to a lawyer basically because you want that help in ensuring that you know you figure out how to tell you know how to enforce what common law rights you might have but also does registration make sense in this particular case because as brad said registration of trademarks can be more expensive but there are times where it certainly makes sense where that is you know a couple hundred dollars that is a a really good investment in protecting that name what's the right What's the best way to, to register a trademark? Would you say, like, for example, there's the option of going through legal Zoom. There's uh, uh, getting a, a, an entertainment lawyer. Uh, what's the best option? Because uh, I'm always trying to find a way to do it uh, less expensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the most of the cost uh, associated with trademark registration is filing fees. So it's they are the fees that the United States Patent and Trademark Office requires for the registration itself. Um, you can go through LegalZoom. I mean, it, it's fairly straightforward. I, I tend to have a bias against using legal services where you need to be really, really clear about what it is you're protecting mm-hmm. and why you're protecting it. 
Because I think in those situations, it is much more helpful to sit down and talk to a human being or to talk to a human being on the, on the phone or Skype or whatever. Um, I think LegalZoom is really totally fine for registering business names and that sort of thing. But as far as trademarks are concerned, there is an art to making sure you are, because when you register, you have to tell them this covers this good or service or this type of good or service. So you want to make sure that it's registered properly. Uh-huh. You don't want to go through that pro- process, spend all that money and find out, actually, eh, it doesn't quite protect the thing that you do. Exactly. Or it only protects part of what you do. Or you had plans on growth, but because of the way that it's registered and because you know they didn't do a trademark search, you actually can only use it for your comic, but you can't use it for T-shirts. You can't use it for merchandise. Uh-huh. Um, that would suck. Yeah. So I, I think trademark registrations, if that is something that you're seriously considering, is it's worth it looking for a lawyer. It's worth looking for a lawyer who does trademarks on a regular basis. Most lawyers who do trademarks on a regular basis have a flat fee for a filing. Um, and a, a, a lot of times if, if you know, you don't have a pile of money sitting around waiting to be spent, they're willing to work with you in, as, in terms of payment plans and how long that takes. Right. It's also good to understand understand this when it, when it comes to you being a savvy consumer of media. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people get really pissed when a company enforces their trademark and sees them as some kind of greedy, greedy overlord that's trying to crap on the little guy. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is not about that. I know that when I made <clears> – <throat> a couple years ago, I made some vinyl toys for PvP. And they were called the PvP desktop icons. And it was kind of like the little, you know, the little vinyl moonies where mm-hmm. it was like one kind of blank shape. And then there were three different paints. One paint was skull, one paint was a little bat, and one paint was the panda. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on, what happened was I said, hey, we got these new toys. I made a blog post and we got, you can either get skull, you can get the little bat, or you can get the angry panda. I got an email from a guy who has a company called Angry Panda that makes toys about an angry panda. And mm-hmm. he's trademarked it. And he's like, you cannot use Angry Panda for toys about pandas. And it was very, <laughs> it was very, very, very harsh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I said, um, oh, you know what? I, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I am not marketing these toys as angry pandas. Um, it was just a blog post. I, you know, I was looking at the toy and I was thinking he's an angry panda and I just wrote it. I'll change the blog post. Um, here's how they're marketing. Here's what the package looks like. And, uh, and he wrote back and said, thanks. I, uh, I appreciate it. You look like you have a pretty cool comic. I'll blog about it. And he blogged about it. Uh-huh. Nice. He wasn't trying to be a dick. He wasn't mm-hmm. trying to stop me from making my toys. He was trying to protect his t- trademark that he had, you know, probably paid a lot for. And, uh, I'm going to use this to segue us to current news since we have Let's someone, do this. someone with us. Are there angry uh, pandas in the news? There are not. <laughs> there, there are angry beasts in the form of boys uh, or goldies Whoa, in the form of blocks. Segway. Wow. Yeah. That, was, that was really good, Corey. That was, worst, that was aces. Worst segue ever. Uh, well, this is actually – it's in the news again because Goldie Blocks, the company, won the Intuit Super Bowl ad spot. Four million dollars worth of advertising in the Super Bowl. Um, so let's catch Fuck. you up real quick. 
there is a company called Goldie Blocks, and they kickstarted an idea for uh, toys focused at young girls uh, in the form of engineering. Uh, they kickstarted this idea. They got like almost $300,000 out of it, I think, in the end. They had hit their goal within four days, almost right away. Uh, and they start producing these toys, and then they start doing some promotional videos and putting them on YouTube. And one of the videos they produce uses the uh, Beastie Boys track, Girls, and has changed the words to the track. Uh, so it's kind of a, you know, girls to engineer things and girls to build apps and girls to do these things, opposite of the song. Uh, and now it is sitting, waiting for a federal court to decide whether or not their use of the song in the commercial uh, is fair or not, whether or not this is in the realm of fair use. Well, and the the court is trying to decide it not because the Beastie Boys sued them. Sure. The, and this is where the, <laughs> the whole situation actually gets sticky and constantly gets stickier. And I, I have a take on it that I will reveal to all of you later because I think I have I have cracked this one. Oh. Uh, I think I've cracked it. I think my my creepy marketing brain, my creepy marketing lizard brain has figured out exactly what happened. Uh, and it came to me in a flash just the other day. But uh, you are correct. In fact, the Beastie Boys did not go after Goldie Blocks, whose video uh, I think topped 8 million views, went viral almost immediately. Uh, it is, in fact, Goldie Blocks who went after Beastie Boys. Uh, yeah, not well, really. Really go after them. Not, not go after. Goldie Blocks called for a, uh, what's the legal term? It's called a declaratory uh, judgment. And there we basically go. what happens is it's not going after the copyright holder. It's basically going to the court and saying, I think what I did falls under the uh, purview of fair use. And I don't want to get sued for copyright infringement. So, Judge, will you please look at this situation and declare that my use is fair use and therefore I don't have to worry about a copyright infringement? And, and why that becomes important is that if you get that declaratory judgment, then the copyright owner can't sue you for, trade, uh, for copyright infringement because it's already been hashed out. Now, because you're asking for a declaratory judgment, because it's about copyright, what ends up happening is that the other side is the copyright owner. So it is the Beastie Boys. Mm. But it's not, um, I don't know, the way that it was presented online it was that, that, that Goldie Box was suing Beastie Boys. And that's just, that's not, sure. that's not quite accurate. I mean, well, it I mean, might technically be true, but not really. Well, I, I declaratory don't. order is something that most lawyers would recommend to somebody who has done something that they think is a fair use, something that they think is parody. Um, it, it is a good way of protecting your protecting your butt. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting about this is sort of the way it was spun on the on the interwebs, because it was <laughs> absolutely spun as uh, big evil corporation Beastie Boys goes after small time toy maker. Uh, with a viral video about their horribly sexist song, Girls. Hmm. Of course, anyone who's listened to to the Beastie Boys album knows that the, the song itself was in parody uh, about the situation and, and uh, hip-hop and girls and their, their view of girls in that sort of subculture. Uh, so to me, that's where the declaratory judgment is going to break down. And this is just my opinion, is that it's going to get before a judge and the judge is going to go, all right, well... The song's already a parody, so you're parodying a parody, uh, and you can't win an argument by saying, well, I can use this thing that someone else is because it's for a good cause. 
Uh, and as great as I think the commercial was, which has now been pulled from YouTube, by the way, only just recently came down. Um, fantastic commercial, incidentally, uh, and really cool looking toy and good idea. I mean, I can't say enough good stuff about what I think the product is. Right. Um, They're marketing on the other hand. Well, and here, this is where, this is where I cracked it. I think their marketing is genius and here's why. Hmm. Uh, the, the com- and it didn't, it didn't come to me until I was digging to, for this blog post actually, and found out that the, uh, the lawyers for Goldie Blocks and uh, Katie, you may know who this is. And other you are the ever- Beastie Boys. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> uh, it's Ora Carrington and Sutcliffe. And if you know if you know anything about law, you will know that this is one of the absolute largest, I mean, just massive uh, firms when it comes to law and this sort of stuff. And they were basically on standby when this video came out. So yeah. I think it was a marketing stunt. I, I, I would have. I, are you kidding? If I did a parody like that, I would have lawyers on standby. But I think they, I think they prepared for it. And, and the only, the other of reason I think it do. is because, well, no, no. I, but I think it was part of the. It was the plan the whole time. Was uh, it was my opinion because now they have won this into it thing. It is my opinion that the plan the whole time was to get four million dollars of free marketing at the Super Bowl, and the strategy was as such: uh, put up a video that we know is is going to get nailed. Right. It, we also know it's going to get it's going to go viral because let's face it, it is a great commercial using mm-hmm. an amazing director who is also a massive Rube Goldberg guy. From an SEO perspective, you're throwing out the words Beastie Boys, girls, uh, Rube Goldberg, like you're just chunking a ton of stuff to make this video go viral. It's prepped for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get our lawyers on standby with with the declaratory statement ready to go. And before Beastie Boys can even respond because we all know from the open letter that the Beastie Boys wrote almost immediately after when the internet blew up, they said, hey, we did not sue anybody. We didn't. We weren't even talking to them yet. <laughs> They're already calling this into court. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Intuit, of course, advertising thing that wins you a spot in the Super Bowl is all fan-based. It's voting online. So now you've got, you've got someone who has is, who is set themselves up as the little guy getting mm-hmm. millions and millions of votes. And now scoring four million dollars in free advertising, and wow. and I'm not saying this like this person is some kind of Machiavellian, you know, evil villain. <laughs> I actually think this was genius marketing. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had thought of it to be honest. And, and I will say that if you're going to do a parody, which you can do a parody of a parody absolutely. that's totally legal, totally legit. Um, but if you're going to do a parody, it makes sense to have talked to a lawyer or to have somebody waiting in the, in the wings. And I think Goldie Blocks was always, always, always in it to make money. They were in it to win this into it thing and, and get, get their space on the, it, during the Super Bowl. But I... Important to know, too, they've done this before. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the interesting point, but I think that is where it, it changes from a copyright issue to a trademark issue because I think if you can show a pattern in practice of using big name bands and doing parodies of their songs as a way of getting attention for your product, you're actually just stealing their goodwill. You're, you're, you're taking the fact that somebody's going to recognize queen. Somebody's going to recognize the beastie boys. And so you're stealing those eyeballs away and you're using their fame in order to get your fame 
Mm-hmm. So, so you actually think the fact that they've done this with, with multiple songs, it just happens that this is the one that really took off. You right. think that the fact they've done this before is actually going to yeah. work against them when they go to get the declaratory statement. I hope. I am disgusted by all of it. And really? I'm, I know that's... Yeah, I'm disgusted by it. And here's why. Um, I... <sighs> There, look, there is a million things that would be great when you're sitting down to promote your product. And if they thought it would be really good and poignant to take that Beastie Boys song, which is, as it was created, misogynistic, oh. and twist it around to where we're going to reappropriate it and have it not be misogynistic, to advertise our our toys for girls that are about breaking girls out of uh, uh, preconceived roles. It's perfect. I mean, that's that's a great idea but um it feels like they decided since they weren't gonna be able to do it legally or above board and they can't approach the beastie boys because the guy put it in his will he can't use it for commercials let's just steal it wow. and and they're just gonna kind of it just kind of feels like they're gonna loophole their way through it and then to find out they did it once before with another song mm-hmm. more than once several more times. than once several times it's just like it, it i feel like um i don't know it just bothers me when people get away with that with that shit i so to play devil's advocate because i, I think there's a really good argument for fair use at, at least from a copyright perspective but to play devil's advocate i don't want somebody who is doing a parody to have to get permission to do that parody. I want them to be able to speak out, uh, to have this free speech rights to make fun of something without having to get permission from the person who created it in the first place. Well, okay, can I can I jump are in? Are they here? making fun of it or they're using it to promote a product? They're exactly. using it to I think they're doing both. No. I, I disagree, and I'll both. tell you why. Yeah, because they're using the sound. They didn't. It, it's not Weird Al does parodies. He records his own music. It's based on the same tune, but he changes the words. That's a parody. When you take the recording that somebody else's does and and plays you, and you play that recording, that's only fair use if you're doing a story about that recording. Fair use says if I'm a, for example, if I'm a TV show and I say uh, uh, the the Beastie Boys uh, d- did X Y Z today, and you play a few bars from that song, that's fair use. You're using that to help tell that story. It's pertinent to the story. I, but I don't believe that you can uh, take that person's recording and appropriate it for yourself and then stand behind parody. You're not you're not doing a parody. You're, you're, you've stolen that piece of art, correct? Not necessarily. I mean, mm. like I, I, that's scary. If you me. are if you are commenting <laughs> on the thing, if 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 your right. whole purpose is commenting so, on the thing, then the, it could be fair use. And this is where the question comes from, right? This is where the question comes from, and this is this is uh, I'm actually with Katie on this one. Is uh, the question becomes whether or not you're making a comment on a thing. Where it gets sticky is that mm-hmm. it's making a comment, but also making a comment to sell something. And and I actually used this example with Katie before to, to help her try to explain to me where this falls. Uh, we're going to do a hypothetical here, a little thought experiment that I'm a company that is making clothes that are male centric clothes aimed at women. Uh, so I'm, I'm making male clothes for girls. Uh, I, I can't even think of a good example of this cause it just sounds Tom so ridiculous. Tom Boys is the sure. name. Tom Boys. Yeah. Okay, great. 
I'm glad somebody not me said it. So that's a great name, by the way. I actually might have to do this. So I'm making a line of clothes called Tomboys, and they're for little girls. And in order to promote these things to little girls, I'm going to take all the Disney princesses, and I'm going to do this video in which the Disney princesses are, like, trapped in these gowns. And then they tear off their gowns, and they put on their Tomboys clothes, and they go out and they become carpenters and engineers and riflemen, I don't know, what's another boy? Boys. <laughs> Boy-centric. <Boyers>. Riflemen? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm they're try- being standing up. And right. it's just <laughs> riflemen. Cats and dogs living together. This is a good example of why I have trouble wrapping my mind around this stuff because I just, I just don't see it. I can't even think of a job. I can't even think of a series of jobs that, that anyway. a couldn't do. So, uh, so I'm going to take all the Disney princesses and make a commercial in which these Disney princesses are are tearing off the shackles of their princess dresses and putting on my tomboy's clothes and going out and being f- free-willing individuals. Uh, and I said to Katie, you know, can I get away with that? And her response was... Maybe. Right. <laughs> really? <laughs> and like that, well, that... and here's why. is because if... The, the answer is maybe because if I have... I have a case there. If I have the if I have the wherewithal and if I have the lawyers and if I have the time and the money to go against Disney, don't do it by the way. If you're out there Horrible listening to this, idea. you want to take that idea. <laughs> the, the Disney lawyers will destroy you. Uh, or at least they'll keep you in court long enough that you'll be broke no matter how much your clothes sell. Um, there's actually there's actually a case there because I am making a comment on these Disney princesses. I am making a comment on these things, but the the part that gets me uh, and the the one part that I have personally have trouble agreeing with because I'm with Katie that people should be able to make a parody. This is how we're going to advance art. This is how we advance ideas uh, by making parodies of things. The problem that I have with it is when somebody's parodying something in order to sell something else. That's where it starts to get. That's where I don't like it is uh-huh. when it's when it's like when tomboys is parodying the princesses just because they know that it'll get enough press to sell the the overalls with the rifle in the pocket but i guess if the law says it's okay to parody it it doesn't specify why it's okay to parody it i mean it's not like weird al yankovic does free concerts with his parodies but i mean that's different go ahead kate if i could just say so with with fair use there's this whole test that the courts do and it's four different things and they're supposed to balance out against each other and there's the Supreme Court has said uh, that there is no clear indication as to one thing, one of these four tests, taking over another one. And so the first one is the purpose and character of the work. So how are you using it? Are you using it to promote yourself or are you using it in a, a quote, a non-commercial way? If it's commercial, it probably is leaning towards not fair use if it's if it's uh non-commercial maybe it's it's leaning towards fair use but it's not determinative then the next thing you look at is the original work was it factual or was it expressive if it's factual it's probably going to have a lot less protection than if it's expressive then third thing is how much of the work did you use to create your own thing did you use a whole ton of it so you weren't really adding in that much you weren't you weren't really contributing much to what you were creating. You were mostly just taking. And then finally, you balance out what, and I think this is one of the more interesting questions when it comes to parody, which is what effect will your use have on the market for the original work? 
Are Whoa. people going to buy your thing instead of the first thing? Or are they going to understand that there is a real difference and they might want to buy your thing um, because it is something that is a parody of the other thing? I think where Goldie Blocks runs into problems here is that they're actually using the parody for purposes of advertising another product. Where usually we're looking at situations where the parody itself is the product. The product. Is the product. Oh, that's right. a good point. Mm -hmm. Wow. So let me ask you a question then. Let, let's say I, I draw a webcomic. Um, let's say you start doing that thing. Let's say I start doing a webcomic <laughs> and I want to show my characters drinking a soda. And so what I do is I draw a can of soda and I color the soda red and I put the white Coca-Cola stripe on it. I mean, there's really nothing else that could be except for a can of Coke. Mm. I'm not supposed to do that, right? No, you're not. And what if someone at Coca-Cola sees it and gets mad about that? Well, they're going to get mad about trademark because you're now using their their product image. Their, it's called trade dress. Um uh, as as a part of your the thing that you've created and they would want licensing for that because they don't want somebody to look at it and be confused that they actually endorse your comic right Correct. okay um so they'd look at it from a, a trademark perspective now it's possible in your web comic you could draw that can of soda red with a white swoosh or whatever it is um and you could be making a joke about the soda itself um that really the joke only works if you are making the joke mm. about coke so let's say that they're drinking in which coke. case that might be okay yeah if, i mean if they're drinking the coke and someone says I, I you can pour a can of coke on a battery to clean all the junk off of it <laughs> right and it made me not like what's it doing to my stomach <laughs> now well, that's a pretty good joke i should write that down i'm an easy so, laugh Someone please write that down. Um, now I'm commenting on Coca-Cola. I understand that. But, um, yeah, that was, it's, just, it's an interesting. Well, and, and, and let me, let's go this way. Uh, at, the risk of trying, uh, at the risk of throwing Ryan under the bus uh, in, in two different uh, cases in the same podcast, when he came out with the gutters, I was absolutely furious, and I and I, I actually told him oh, so. Oh, that's interesting. Because I had, well, give I'm some not, background. I'm not going to say I had the idea quick. first, but I, I want Brad, explain the gutters. Oh, first. Oh, yeah, oh. give some give some background who we're talking to. We've jumped well, okay, back now. Okay, so uh, the gutters, and it's I think it's a wonderful comic. You can take a look at it at uh, the hyphen gutters .com. Basically, it's a uh, comic that uh, uses other trademarked characters like Batman, Spider-Man, so forth. It also does an awful lot of commenting on the comics industry as a whole, but but it gets a tremendous... It, it'll take a, a storyline that ran in, in Teen Titans and kind of make a comment about it, or it'll just kind of make a general Batman joke, uh, or, or, you know, like the one I'm looking at, uh, at right now uh, has uh, Robert Kirkman uh, doing a, a speech in front of the uh, image panel. Uh, so it, it runs the gamut. But I, when I thought about doing that kind of a strip myself, uh, I backed away because I didn't want to get in, into a situation where I've got all these Batman strips that I can't run because DC Comics says no. 
and uh, I, 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 and and I, this it really isn't throwing him under the bus because I, I went up to him at, at Comic Con and I said, uh, how how can you do this? How can you do this? <laughs> and he says, oh, I, I talked to them, I sent them letters, and uh, and everybody's cool with it. But uh, but but how is that? Where, where it's so clearly to me. Uh, uh, trading on someone else's mark. I mean, he's he's doing Batman comics. He's doing Spider-Man comics. How can he... It, and it's not necessarily uh, uh, parody because he doesn't always talk about, like, uh, issue 500 of Spider-Man. He, he might be just at certain times doing a generic Spider-Man joke. How, right. how does that... How does that... What kind of gray area does that fall into? So one of the things that you ask yourself when you're looking at trademark and, and parody is do you need to talk about that particular thing in order to make the statement that you're making? And you can't tell a Spider-Man joke without Spider-Man. Like that just doesn't quite work. Mm. Um, but you do get into a gray area of, are you merely using Spider-Man so that you get more eyeballs and more attention? Are you really trading off of the fame there? And the commentary that you're doing is actually, you know, secondary to the fact that you have Spider-Man in your comic. Um, but, but yeah, no, with, with Trademark, we're really looking at, do you need that in order to make the statement that you're making? Because if you do, then you should be able to use it. Sort of the same idea with, um, with facts and expression under copyright. I don't want to take a fact out of the market. I don't, I don't want to be the only one who can take pictures of sunsets. Um, because I want, I want other people to be able to play with that idea. And at the same time, you know, with parody, I want people to be able to comment on that thing. But there's this, you know, there's a balance between commentary and just, it just grabbing it. It's <laughs> something that's good and trying to get the eyeballs that would, would go there instead. There was a really funny comic I saw one time of uh, it said why no one wants to shake Spider-Man's hand <laughs> and it shows Spider-Man going up to Cap and he goes, what's up Cap? And Cap's like, hello, and they shake hands and the minute they shake hands it activates his web shooter and he goes <laughs> into <the> Cap's face. <laughs> <laughs> and That's it really, very clever. Yeah, it really killed me because, I mean, how many, how many people have seen Spider-Man shoot his web shooters and yeah, that's what totally. would happen if you shot his, if you shook his hand. Yeah, um, totally. So, I mean, that's different than um, you doing a, a comic strip where the main character is Spider-Man all the time. But, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting with the gutters because a lot of times he's commenting on the uh, industry news and something that's going on in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's a Batman joke, but it's because um they just announced some change in the batman comic and there was a reaction to it and he's commenting on that mm. yeah but sometimes it's just a batman joke yeah. sometimes it's a joke about batman or we've done that too i i did a joke about uh you know ultimately i think it it falls under your commenting on it as opposed to you're creating a new comic <laughs> strip about your friend john speederman Right. Is, is your is your new comic John Spiderman going to uh, replace Spider-Man? Yeah. Comic? Is it going to be a one-for-one -one replacement? Like, are you really trying to get the readers who read Spider-Man to read your comic instead? It's really also. I think it always. I think ultimately it comes down to what the company cares about because, um, you have that guy doing JL Eight, which is a, mm. a web comic about uh, a preschool version of the Justice League. And I think they like it, 
they probably have contacted him and are working with him at some point on something. But then Robert Kirkman calls Invincible probably the best superhero book in the universe, and he got a cease and desist. Because he used the word superhero. Because Marvel and DC co-own the trademark to superhero. Isn't that amazing? Indeed. And superhero happy hour tangent. had to change his name of his comic. Is it, does it count if you hyphenate it or not? Can, is there a difference between superhero matter. and super hyphen hero? I don't think. I think they got both. I don't know. It depends oh. on how they registered it. I, I am guessing they registered both. Yeah, they got both. Wow. That, of course, brings up the whole uh, uh, Candy Crush saga thing. Oh, my God. That is just stupid. <laughs> that is my legal opinion. Am I like, we're not even going to talk about we're talking this. about? Uh, Candy Crush uh, Saga, the the game, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with it. If you're not familiar, the Candy Crush is a uh, puzzle game for various mobile devices. Uh, it's made by a company called King. And they, I, Katie, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they've trademarked Candy Crush Saga, correct? Mm-hmm. And now they're going after anyone that has the words candy or saga in the name of no their app. No way. Of really? their game. Really? Of their game, yeah. They're, they're trying to enforce a trademark for saga uh, in games. Are you, are you stupid? <laughs> you can't do that. I Go like it when the lawyer gets riled up. This is all right. <laughs> well, because so trademark, one of the fundamentals of trademark is if you are merely descriptive, if you are using the word merely to describe the thing that you are doing, you don't get protection. You just don't. Because why would the government give you the ability to take a word out of the language so that nobody else could ever describe but, the thing that they are doing? But isn't that just what Marvel and DC are word? doing with the word superhero? No. No? Uh, superhero is an invented word. word. Right, superhero is an invented word. Here. It's an invented hmm. thing. Well, the crazy like, thing is King has already gotten the word candy. They have officially trademarked the word candy in Europe from a defunct company. They're now going after it in the U.S. at the really? patent office. Uh, and the company now, already just, owns the trademark for the word saga. Mojang, the company that makes Minecraft, uh-huh. they came out with a second game called Scrolls. And Bethesda tried to sue them for using it because they have a trademark on Elder Scrolls. Hmm. Wow. Huh. Ah, oh, jeez. I mean, I understand protecting your brand, but come on, guys. There, yeah, no, there is a limit. There is a point in time where you look like a, you look like a douchebag. So now here's because... my question: Are they getting any traction, or are they just getting laughed out of court? Uh... I don't, I don't know, because I don't know that they've actually uh, secured they, I don't think, any rights yeah. to Saga in the United States. Mm. Well, they have no. They have Saga. What they're going after right now is candy. The word candy. Wow. So uh, the company already owns the trademark. No, they're for saga. going after Saga. Uh, uh, let's see. Because they're going after Banna Saga. Mm-hmm. That's what I saw. Let's see. Application to duplicate the trademark in the United States. Baby. Co- company Here. already. The company owns Saga. They own the word Saga. They're trying. They're trying to trademark in the U.S. the word candy. They are, but they're what brought it up is they they filed something against the new Kickstarter game that just released called Banner Saga. Banner Saga, correct, yeah. They're saying that only so, they can have the word Saga. Real oh, quick, just to bring I'm it back. I'm just reading every- something from oh. January. Candy Crush Saga has successfully trademarked the word candy. Huh. In That's the what U.S.? That's here. Well, uh, they, they, I know they've got it in Europe. 
I don't know whether that's it doesn't specify here. And I'm look I'm just I'm looking at venturebeat.com. Well, kids, everyone listening to this that has a webcomic, I want you to take a sip of water and a little nibble of bread and a deep breath because we've gone down some fun rabbit holes here discussing co- oh, copyright and trademark. But don't think that you have to understand all of this to be protected. No, absolutely not. Uh, it's good to know it, and it's fun to talk it, and we're all nerds for this stuff, so we're delving deep into rat holes. But look, one time I... I uh, put up a high-res PDF of a, of a book one time that was a little higher res, and my brother was flipping out. <laughs> and he said to me, I could just hear it. What are you doing? You could print that, and it would look good. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's true. <laughs> and he said, what happens if someone prints that and sells thousands of them? And I said, I would hire him. <laughs> <laughs> Because I couldn't sell thousands of this piece of shit. If he or she has figured something out that I don't know, I will hire them. That's not a pirate. That's a partner. (laughs) And and, and that is a really important thing is that uh, one of the great benefits of people being able to riff off of each other is that sometimes you find somebody's got a really great idea that you want to partner with. Mm. Or they create something new that you want to participate in or take advantage of. I know that David Malky at one point was having a really hard time with themes from Wondermark, punchlines from his comic Wondermark, showing up in other places as T-shirts. And because he's really good at writing those punchy, fun, broad statements, and they make perfect T-shirts. And sometimes (laughs) he was already making the T-shirt. So rather than chase all this stuff down and fight everyone... He just wrote up a boilerplate licensing agreement <laughs> and just started going to people with, hey, congratulations, you're a licensor of mine. You don't even know it. <laughs> I own the rights this thing that you accidentally discovered at the same time as I did. I'm not even going to accuse you of stealing it. But um, here's did what it, I'll do. Did it work? Yeah, he makes he does it all. He's done it more than one occasion. He says it's so much easier than fighting them. Absolutely. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So, make them, guys, make licensors. listen, I mean, I know that when I was a kid, I had John Romita Jr. one time at a convention. I said I wanted to, I was scared of the same thing. What if I create someone and someone steals it? And he said, put it in an envelope and send it to yourself, register oh, mailed. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, I have to do that. <laughs> but I, uh. That does nothing, by that the does way. No, I know it does nothing. nothing. But. Uh, under, don't be afraid of the law and understand it and, and understand that um, no one can steal your ability to create things and own things. I mean, I, yes. I, I think once I stopped fearing the bomb, learned to love the bomb, <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I think Louis C.K. even said this one time. He doesn't worry so much about other comics stealing his jokes because he's just going to he'll just write more jokes. Right. And and if and, somebody is so uh, creatively deficit that the best they can do is su- is steal someone else's joke, they can only do that one time. They can only do that a finite number of times. If you're the person with that creative spark that that made that thing, you you can keep making things. You just you just move beyond that. There are horror stories. No. I'm not going to lie to you. No, but- you're going to find a horror story of someone who lost a character or lost a comic or lost the ability to call a comic something. But more common than that 
are going to be people who are stifled from creating because they're fr- afraid of that rare scenario. Scott, who I, was it that said? I know you're going to remember. Uh, they gave the great advice uh, that somebody believe said. believe it was Yates. How do I... <laughs> How do I keep from having my work stolen? And the guy said to the kid, there's only one way to make sure you never get something stolen from you, and that's to never do good work. I don't know who said that. I seem to remember you telling me that anecdote. I don't. Maybe it was me that said maybe it. I'm pretty profound sometimes. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know. Someone well, in the I, audience I will know. say that when, when somebody asks, what will I do if somebody steals my stuff? My answer is you will make more stuff. Yes. That is what you are that is what you will do. That is what you have to do. You are a creator. This is not your last creation. Yes, it might be difficult. Yes, there there might be a legal back and forth, but ultimately the answer is you're going to create more things. Yeah. The other person is just going to look like a jerk. We've kept Katie on the phone for an awful long time, and I know that she's got to be out very close to now, if not a a few minutes ago. So, But the one thing I want to ask, and it's partially because you're you're fascinating, it's partially because I think I could listen to you read the phone book. Uh, (laughs) You've got a very, very uh, soothing voice. You're you're exactly the kind of lawyer I I think would be great if somebody's in real trouble. You can explain this stuff, and it, it makes it seem much, much less threatening. But if we Thank have you. another show where we don't want to talk legal things, could we have you back at some time? That would be so much fun. Katie I is absolutely it. coming back. And in fact, uh, patrons out there and Patreon listeners, if you have a question uh, for Katie Lane, please feel free. We're going to start a little uh, a little chain idea. going on our, on our patron page. Please feel free to ask questions. And the next time we have Katie on, uh, we will fire those questions away. And please check out the Patreon reward that gets you free legal advice from Katie. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> if we reach $50,000 an episode, it's all listeners get free dollars. legal advice. Uh. Thank you, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thank it's been you. great. Thank you all so much. This is Surviving Creativity. We'll see you next week. It's been another episode of Surviving Creativity. If you enjoy the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity and consider becoming a patron. Next week, Surviving Creativity heads to Seattle, Washington for Emerald City Comic Con. We're walking the convention floor and talking to our favorite creators about the artistic process. So join us next week for the first convention special of Surviving Creativity.